Humans are hardwired to connect. They're social creatures who crave friendship and positive interactions with others. As much as we yearn for these interactions, however, many of us struggle to be good at building relationships. But why? In this episode, we're discussing the key elements to developing positive relationships, both within and outside of work. Welcome to the 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast by Zanger Folkman. Each week, using research from over 1.5 million global assessments of leaders, we analyze different leadership traits, trends, and what it really takes for leaders to get to the 90th Percentile. I'm Brianna Corrin, and joining me today is my good friend and leadership legend, Jack Sanger. Jack, I'm going to come right out and say it. Work relationships can be rewarding, friendly, and they can, they can sometimes be awful <laughs> and even awkward and very strange. I, I remember once I was in an aquarium and I was staring at the fish tank and I was thinking, what would it be like to be stuck in a place with a bunch of people you didn't choose to be with and being forced to kind of work together and get along? And then it dawned on me that that was basically every work situation and environment out there. We are basically just like fish <laughs> and those tanks. Seldom do we have any say who is with us in the tank. And getting along at work is not always easy, but you wanted to figure out the best way to make it possible. So where did you start? You know, in assessing a leader's overall behavior, there are three items we use to measure a leader's skill at building relationships. They are number one, balancing getting results with a concern for other people's needs. Now, this describes the, the balance beam that all leaders walk on, mm -hmm. doing what's right for the organization and balancing that with what's good for the individual team member, their health and their happiness and their overall well-being. The second one is being trusted by other members of the work group. Relationships, like so much else in life, rest on a foundation of trust. Take it away and everything crumbles. Imagine the simplest of structures with four building blocks. When you have trust as the foundation, then you can have productive communications sitting on top of that. And when you have good communication, you can then agree on goals and objectives and what you can have then is to create systems and procedures and work processes that enable work to get done. But we all know what happens when you knock the lowest block out. The third one was staying in touch with issues and concerns of individuals in the group. This is the leader's willingness to be connected with others and their skill in making that happen. Our data showed that leaders who excelled in these areas were able to develop more positive relationships and in turn significantly improve employee engagement, retention, and discretionary effort. Yeah, and what is even more meaningful than those success indicators is what positive relationships do for people. I mean, relationships fill important human needs for belonging and for providing a sense of purpose, and they add meaning to your work. Employees at every level can attest when work has a purpose, their lives have greater purpose as well. And the research is clear that physical and mental health improve when people are part of a well-functioning group. Yes, and this topic has gained greater importance in the past few decades 
as the nature of organizations has been transformed. The relationships that made a traditional pyramid hierarchy function well are dramatically different from the relationships that allow a flat network or team-based organization to operate well. In the steep pyramids of times past, relationships were defined by the hierarchy. The hierarchy denoted power and influence and someone's importance in the organization. These relationships succeeded when people knew and functioned in a contented way within their appropriate roles. People at lowest levels learn to be responsive and take directions, while those in managerial roles learn the importance of providing clear direction to their direct reports. So in that steep pyramid hierarchy you're talking about, relationships tended to be more distant and formal, not, not as friendly. So why, why were leaders encouraged to maintain a distance between themselves and their direct reports? No, frankly, I think it was a holdover from millennia of history, much of it coming from the military. Psychological distance was thought to be necessary as a way of preserving the hierarchy, but it was also believed that often the leader would be required to give orders or directions that would put their subordinates in harm's way. Hmm. And that distance, that psychological distance, would be necessary for the leader to have the courage and the will to make that happen. It was also based on the premise that intelligence and capability was highly correlated with your level in the hierarchy, hmm. which may never have been true, but certainly isn't true today. In the organizations of today, with their greater emphasis on teams and networks, along with better information dissemination, the nature of relationships has changed it is now important to develop relationships that elicit cooperation instead of people merely taking direction. Individuals are increasingly encouraged to take initiative and to act more independently. At Zanger Folkman, um, we frequently do studies to determine what are the related behaviors that can help build a strength in a specific area. In the category of building relationships, you and Joe found nine companion behaviors and you clustered them into three critical themes that we're gonna talk about in the podcast today. Yes, rather than having nine things for you to think about, we decided we'd create three fundamental categories. And let me quickly review them. Number one, it's the leader's mindset and overall attitude. Leaders who excelled in positive interactions were masters at projecting optimism. It is often easy to see what's going wrong, but for the sake of relationships, you should learn to stop yourself before generally professing a negative view. Maintain a positive and productive attitude. Put equal focus or more on what's going right. When you learn to genuinely and sincerely ask for feedback on what you can do to improve, it dramatically improves your relationships. The first book that I read by Martin Seligman, the, the father and founder of the positive psychology movement today, was one called Learned Optimism, How to Change Yourself. I personally think that optimism and self-confidence are two sides of the same coin. Warren Buffett attributes much of his success to an unabashed optimism about life and the future. Mm, you're a card-carrying optimist, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
The second theme was one-on-one -on -one interactions. Now these interactions can really get to us or, or make us constantly, you know, replay some of them in your head as you're driving home. Did I say the wrong thing? Did I do the wrong thing? Why did it go that way? Um, Amy Gallo, who is a good friend of ours and HBR editor, shared an experience in one of her articles that she had with a difficult coworker. She was really frustrated with this coworker one day, and after receiving an annoying email from her, she typed up a long email sharing all of her grievances and frustrations with another friend and coworker. And then instead of forwarding the message to that friend, <laughs> she accidentally replied to the difficult coworker. Ah! <laughs> she quickly admitted her mistake to her boss, and the boss, instead of firing her, encouraged her to go apologize. Amy said, quote, rather than accepting that this coworker saw things differently from me, I labeled her difficult. This was a mistake, and not just because I ended up embarrassing myself. By thinking that way, by labeling someone as difficult, I lost out on a potentially productive working relationship. The problem is that we often categorize our work relationships as good, bad, or even difficult. And we think that they're always going to stay that way. As a result, this largely affects our one-on-one -on -one interactions. Zanger Fogman's research shows that there are certain behaviors the best relationship builders out there use to make these one-on-one -on -one situations more positive. First, relationship people are good listeners. If you haven't listened to our podcast on listening, Go and listen to it. They don't pretend they are listening while actually thinking about what else they need to accomplish that day. They focus on listening to the other person and they ask good questions that help them understand the other person's point of view, even if they don't agree with it. They understand that good communication is the key to healthy and happy relationships. They keep others well-informed and let them know what, where, when, and how the critical steps are occurring. They look for opportunities to praise, recognize, and reward others. And they're completely honest and act with high integrity. They care about the success of others and strive to assist others on their team by identifying skills or areas of knowledge that will provide genuine help. Now, I know that probably seemed like a lot, a lot of things on that list. <laughs> wow, that seems like the perfect person. I want to be friends with them. But these behaviors are something that we can all strive for, even just a few of them. Yes, and the third theme that we found was creating teams and networks. Leaders who value relationships don't try to work alone. They look proactively for ways to increase collaboration and teamwork. They're able to resolve conflicts and they seek better ways to cooperate. They practice inclusiveness and show that they value diversity by appreciating the differences between themselves and others. Let's face reality, most important work is not done by individuals acting alone in the modern organization. It's done by teams working together. The pandemic has made that more difficult and complex. In the latest magnum opus by, written by the esteemed scholar Nicholas Christakis, he writes in the conclusion of this wonderful book, this project of evolutionary sociology in which we have engaged reveals that humans everywhere 
are pre-wired to make a particular kind of society, one full of love, friendship, learning, and cooperation. Oh, I love that quote. That's fantastic. Working on a great team is such a fulfilling experience for people. And sometimes it can be hard to find or even create. Rob Cross, who's a professor and done a lot of research on relationship building, said, many of us strive for a meaningful job, an impressive title, a sizable salary at the ideal company. In doing so, we drastically undervalue the importance of relationships, even though extensive research shows that it's people, not the perfect job, that lead to fulfillment. Yes, it is clear that learning to improve working relationships will not only increase the engagement and commitment of those you work with, it will also improve yours and their quality of life. As Albert Einstein said, I fear the day technology will surpass our human interaction. End quote. People truly need other people. Improving your relationships with others creates the best possible way to work and to live. The 90th Percentile on Unconventional Leadership Podcast was written and recorded by Brianna Corin and Jack Zanger and produced by Zanger Folkman. If you're interested in learning more about Zanger Folkman's award-winning 360-degree assessments, leadership, and coaching offerings, or would like to attend our monthly leadership webinar series hosted by Jack Zanger and Joe Folkman, visit our website at zangerfolkman.com. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to leave us a nice review. All resources and links to the research referenced in this episode can be found in the episode details or on our podcast page on zangerfolkman.com. <laughs>